Welcome to Talk It Out with Tab. I'm your host, Tab, creating a safe space for you to share your truth. Let's talk it out so we can walk into our existence of thriving together. Family, tonight I have attorney Christian Wise Smith. I am so excited to sit with him and have a conversation today. He most recently ran for office as the Fulton County District Attorney, and it was really a pleasure to watch him navigate through the process. Currently, he also has a nonprofit organization called National Social Justice Alliance. And at the bottom of this podcast, I will have all the links there, how you can go ahead and support him. But Tonight, I really want to sit with him and learn about the voting process and more specifically, what propelled him into running for office. Attorney Smith, go right into it and let me know what was your journey into um, running for office. Yes, ma'am. First of all, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. You know, I think the your why, the reason for creating this podcast to create a safe space to educate our people. Uh, I love it and it's needed. And uh, I can't wait to watch you grow and grow. So, you know, thank you for wanting to hear my story and my journey. And, you know, I'll just start with my childhood. I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a lot of things played into why I ran and, and going back there throughout my campaign, I used to say I was born and raised in the justice system. You know, one of my earliest memories is seeing my mom get arrested you know, I have an uncle who's serving a life sentence for murder uh, who's been there since 1985. Um, I was with my grandmother one time. I think I was, I was about seven years old and I saw her get arrested. I saw her you know, strip down her underwear and, and handcuffed in front of me. And, and during that instance, you know, I was with some of my cousins and she looked at me and she said I would be different. And at seven years old, I didn't understand it. But when I got older, and I, and, and I saw myself have the opportunities to do some different things. Like those words always stuck with me because I have my own struggles, you know, just growing up in the inner city. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, you know, single mom, you know, in a, in a low income black neighborhood. You know, I saw a lot of crime and violence. I lost some friends to violence. I saw more friends get incarcerated. You know, myself, I got kicked out of school uh, when I was 17 and I barely graduated. But throughout all of that, you know, by God's grace, you know, I, I don't know what, why God had, you know, what calling he has on my life. I became the first in my family to graduate from college. Then I went on and got a master's degree and went to law school. And so after becoming an attorney, um, well, my first job out of law school, I took a job in Atlanta City Council. I was chief of staff for Council District 5 for two years. And then my first, you know, job as an attorney practicing law, I took a prosecutor job as an assistant solicitor. And I hated it. I hated seeing how the system was really set up for people to fail, that the system cared about conviction rates and percentages, the the system cares about uh, money, uh, fine money and revenue. And the system is really geared geared, uh, toward recidivism. meaning repeat offenses where people just stay on this cycle of in and out, in and out. And that's how the system makes its money. They, they bank on these people uh, not changing their lives. And so after being a part of the system for um, six years, I, I got frustrated where I said, okay, I can continue to stay frustrated or I can do something about it. 
So I, I jumped out and threw my name in a, in a ring and decided to run for Fulton County District Attorney. That is awesome. So first, I want to say um, that takes a lot of courage to just speak of your family history. And congratulations on your drive. There is definitely power in your name. And at seven, when your grandmother said that you would be different, um, I felt something when you said that, because again, you know, when we spoke before I hit record on this podcast and we were just talking about your name on how powerful it is, you know, Christian Wise Smith, um, I'm so happy that you took hold of your name and you decided to move forward despite the history. Oftentimes that would, you know, the things that you just shared with all of us are things that would keep people from running, right? It would shame people into not running, but you use those things as a platform. You use those things as leverage, especially being, um, you know, kicked out of school at age 17, being from a single mother household, the statistics and the odds were really against you. But you took that, you harnessed it, and you used it for power. So let's talk about um, how, I guess, how empowering you sharing your truth and you um, not letting anyone else in the media tell your narrative has helped to shape your campaign and how it gave you the freedom to just move forward. I think that, (coughs) excuse me, and for everybody listening, if you hear me cough, it's a broken start. Is not Corona. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that just being an attorney, you know, I actually just had my eight year anniversary on uh, December 7th from when I got sworn into practice law. So I'm eight years in the game now. And throughout my journey, I haven't met many attorneys like me who have the background that I have. Um, not to say that, you know, people didn't have their struggles and their trials and tribulations, but, you know, mine is a little, you know, I don't want to say extreme, but, you know, it's not one that you hear every day. And so because I know where I came from and what I went through, I, I, I guess it just gave me that ability to uh, not care as much what people think about me and the courage to want to tell my own story because throughout my journey, And because I have such a unique story, I've been able to help people in other ways that other people can't. I think people relate more to the struggle. People relate more to the underdog. And, you know, I've just always had this, uh, I guess, no shame or no shyness in in being personal because I feel like that's how you help people. I mean, when when people can see themselves in you or people can, you know, they, they can feel you, right? They feel that connection. I think that's how you really change people's lives. And I love to tell a story if I can um, that kind of paints the picture of everything I just said and it played into my campaign. Actually, one of the reasons that I ran. Um, so my first year as a prosecutor in 2013, I had a 17 year old kid who was arrested uh, and charged with, uh, with drug charges. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I remember talking to the kid you know, something, this, I guess, the, you know, the spirit God just led me to get personal with this kid. And I said, hey, man, you know, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? And he said, oh, I want to play in the NFL. Like, I know I'm going to be in the NFL. I know I'm going to be straight. You know, just let me go ahead and plead to this charge, man, and get out of here. I said, all right, young man, if you want to play in the NFL, where you got to play first? He said, college. So I said, do you understand, do you realize 
that if you get convicted of this charge you have, you can't go to college. You can't get financial aid if you got a drug conviction. Or if you were already in college and you got convicted of any drug charge, they take your financial aid away. I know about five or six people that happened to when I was an undergrad. So now I had his attention because I'm talking about, you know, his dream, his future. And I could tell that he was somebody like me. You know, his mom was there with him in court, single mom. You know, he had a couple tattoos, his hair was dreaded. So, you know, I'm not going to say he was a thug, but he, he was trying to figure out where he fit in. Like, was he the hood dude or was he somebody who, you know, could really turn his life around? And so I told him, man, like, I'm, I'm not going to do this for, for your mom. You know, it's not for, for your, your boys back in your hood. It's for you. It's to prove to yourself that you can change your life if you want to. So I went in front of the judge and I said, hey, Your Honor, if he does ABC, you know, in 60 days, you know, I want him to come back in 30, then come back in another 30. If he's completed everything, I'll throw his case out. And the judge, you know, she gave him a little talking to, but she went along with it. And I, and I just made it up on the spot. I called it CSI, Christian Smith Intervention. And um, kid did everything. And so, you know, I, I moved on to the next case and, and, and being real with you, I just forgot about him. But in 2014, his mom sent me an email and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, last year you gave my son a chance. I just wanted to say thank you and let you know that he's at a junior college in Oklahoma. He's doing great in the classroom. and He's rated the number two cornerback in uh, junior college. In 2015, she called me. And said, hey, just want to say thanks again. Update again. Praise report. The University of Tennessee signed my son. And he has a chance to start this year. Um, 2016, she called again and said, hey, man, you got to come to a game. We wouldn't be here without you. So my kids and I went up to Knoxville, went to a game. Uh, his senior year, 2017, I went to three of his games. Uh, drove to Alabama to watch him play. Drove to Knoxville and then went to – they actually played here in Atlanta. Uh, but most importantly, in the spring of 2018, I went up to Knoxville and I went to his graduation. I saw him get a bachelor's degree in communications. The kid's name is Justin Martin. Uh, he was in uh, training camp last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. And the, the, one of the reasons this propelled me into campaigning for DA is because I actually got in trouble for what I did for Justin. Uh, my supervisor at the time, you know, got in my face and it kind of went off on me about us not being social services, about our conviction rates needing to stay up, about fine money needing to come in. You know, I was told that that was an easy conviction, that that was fine money that I just let go out of the door. And I said, are you kidding me? Like, I, I just, not only did I change this kid's life, but potentially, you know, his family members and his friends, because now they're going to see him being the first in his hood and his family to have a college degree and just the, the ripple effect that that could have on breaking cycles and creating positive ones. So back in my first year as a prosecutor, that planted to see that I just hated how the system works. I hated how the system looks at people who look like me. And where now this kid has a college degree and his life has changed forever. The system wanted him to have a conviction where his life would have been ruined forever and he probably would have kept coming back and back and forth to the system uh, with that first conviction. That is such a powerful story. And what I think people need to understand, and I just want to piggyback off of it and agree with you, is that 
the system truly is not a system of rehabilitation. No. They would like to try and feed us that at every step of the way. But once you go into the system, what you're learning is you're learning um, a lifestyle of criminality over and over again. Once you go into jail or once you go behind bars, then you have to learn that criminal mindset in order to survive back there, right? And then once you come out and it's harder for you to find a job, sometimes a lot of people who end up behind bars find it easier to go back to jail to continue your life. It's just easier because that's what they've grown to know. That's what they know. And it's, it's not even that though. You know, if I, if I can piggyback off that, it, so let's start, let's say I get arrested today, right? For mm-hmm. stealing this water bottle. And so whenever you get arrested, you're supposed to go in front of a judge within 48 hours for your, your bond hearing. And so bond determines how much money you have to pay so that you'll be released. And bond is only supposed to, you know, guarantee that you will return to court. It's like you're putting some skin in the game saying, hey, if you let me out, I'm going to come to court because I don't want to lose this money. Well, if I stole this bottle of water because I'm thirsty, you know, two, three dollars, I don't know how much this, this is. Obviously, I couldn't afford it. So if the judge says, well, hey, I'm going to give you a $10,000 bond. And if I go through a bonding company, you know, I may put five to ten percent up. That's still five hundred thousand bucks. I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. So now that means I'm going to sit in jail until the state formally indicts me, uh, which means formally brings charges against me. And they have 90 days to do that. So we're talking about three months where I can sit in jail and I haven't been convicted of a crime. <laughs> so what happens during that three months? If I had an apartment, I lost it. Because I ain't paid rent in three months. If I had a job, I lost it because I ain't been to work in 90 days. Mm -hmm. If I got a family, if I got kids, they might be in defects now. So because of how the system is set up from the very beginning, starting with cash bail, now I've lost everything. So now I think that where you were comes into play. It's like, okay, I've been in here for 90 days. So now I got to learn how to survive in here. And so now when I get out, if I get out, I don't have a house to go back to. I don't have a job to go back to. My kids are gone. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go steal another one. Hustle. And that's, right. how, that's how you stay on that, that cycle of recidivism and repeat offending. It's, it's a vicious cycle, you know. And, it is. Yeah. And I know, I, you know, it seems like such a huge a huge undertaking for us to, you know, change the justice system. But I want you to talk about the importance of us voting in local elections. So when you ran for Fulton County District Attorney, talk to the kind of power that would have given you, especially someone like you with such a unique perspective where your, your, um, your core foundation is really um, helping the community, really being a, a foot soldier in the community. Talk about why it's so important to, to show up for those local elections and vote people like you who, um, who, of course, you know, you have a heart for justice, but you also understand the human nature of every individual that stands before you. Let, let me let me give you another analogy, I guess, before I jump into that, right? So when you drive, you're driving your car, the light turns red, 
uh, what do you do? I stop. Okay. So if you don't stop, if you if you run that red light and a police officer sees you do it, what's going to happen? Man, he's about to pull me over. Right. And you're going to get a what? A ticket. And it's going to be hefty breaking a red light. So when you talk about, you know, why is it important to vote in local elections? Do you know what determines the laws based off you running that traffic light? I don't, honestly. Local laws do. So local laws, local government, they have a more direct impact on our day-to-day lives than I would say even a presidential election. Because if you get that traffic citation for running that red light, you're not going to federal court, you're going to city court. And the amount of money that you're going to pay for that ticket is determined by your city council people. So that's local voting. So local elections have um, more of an impact on the stuff that we do day to day. If you're not wearing your seatbelt and you get pulled over, again, that's local. Um, the president is not saying how much you're going to pay for a seatbelt. That's, that's your local government. And so, you know, answering your question, I guess, more specifically about what I could have done as district attorney, you know, whenever the police officers in Fulton County, uh, there are 15 cities in Fulton County, so Atlanta, East Point, College Park, wherever, Roswell, Alpharetta, (coughs) if the police officers arrest somebody, um, you know, of course, they are the, the, the first line of defense. So they'll say, hey, I think the crime is this. You know, they'll arrest the person, they'll write a report, they send that to the DA's office. So now my job as a lawyer is to look at, you know, all of the evidence that I have, check to see if what the officer did was right. I can either say, yes, it was this, or I can say, no, it wasn't. I can say, hey, officer, you messed up. We need to throw this case out. Or the district attorneys also have the power to put people in programs to help them change their lives. So, you know, just telling another story about a city that I've seen uh, who's starting to get it right, Seattle, Washington. I had the opportunity to go out there in 2018 to study this program that they created in 2011 called LEAD. It stands for Law Enforcement Assistant Diversion. So out there, if you are arrested for drug possession or prostitution, instead of taking you through the traditional court system, Um, they give you the opportunity to go through a program. And if you complete the program, they throw your case out. And this program consists of, you know, if you dropped out and you need a GED, help you get a GED. You know, if you need uh, mental health treatment, get you the proper mental health uh, services that you need. So whatever, whatever life issue you're having, they try to get to the root cause of how you ended up in this lifestyle of using drugs or, you know, selling your body. And so, from 2011 up until the time I was there in February of 2018, they've had over 500 success stories of where these people now have jobs. These people now have apartments. You know, they're not on the streets anymore. They're not committing crimes anymore. So when, when you create a system like that, you see crime rates drop. You see property rates mm-hmm. and property values go up. You see the school system ratings go up. You start to create a whole different cycle because crime went down. And so I wanted to bring that mentality. I wanted to bring that kind of vision uh, here to Fulton County. 
there has never been a progressive district attorney elected anywhere in the South. Uh, well, somebody just got elected in New Orleans. At the time that I was running, there hadn't been one. Mm-hmm. Um, where the focus is more on changing people's lives and breaking people out of the system versus keeping people in the system. You know, the, the, the definition of justice is not winning. And I think from TV and movies and pop pop culture, you know, a lot of these police shows and CSIs and law and orders, they always show the district attorney or the prosecutor wanting to win and pretty much wanting to win at every cost. They show these people who are very rigid. They show these people who only care about conviction rates uh, and numbers and percentages. And so that's not what a prosecutor's job is my uh, my job as a prosecutor is not to win my job is to seek what's fair and what's That's right this. and sometimes what's fair and what's right is not seeing somebody sit in jail but it's seeing somebody like the kid justin martin who i spoke to about earlier having the opportunity to change his life and his family's life and his community's life and prosecutors have the power to do that but quite frankly they just don't they don't take advantage of it they don't do it and too often, uh, we see prosecutors like Jackie Johnson down in Brunswick, Georgia, who just screwed up, who blatantly screwed up the Ahmaud Arbery investigation and, and everything that happened after his murder. But thankfully, I guess coming full circle on what your initial question is with voting, the people down in Brunswick, Georgia voted her out. So on the November 3rd election, uh, she lost. So that's why voting in local elections is so powerful because you can get rid of folks like that who are just, you know, blatantly racist and blatantly uh, out for themselves. And you can put in the people who want to seek to do the right thing. So I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. That LEAD program in Seattle, that was really encouraging to hear that. Um, You said there were 500 successful cases. Do you know Mm -hmm. how many people went through that program? I don't. I don't. Um, I just remember that 500, well, it was, it was over 500. I just remember them saying that, uh, a a few times while we were out there and, you know, that at at this point, that's almost three years ago. So I would imagine that their numbers have gone up even more, but I'm not sure, you know, what, you know, what that 500 is out of, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) from a, from a whole picture, but listen, 500 is enough. 500 is enough. I mean, to think about changing 500 500, um, lives. And we're not talking about those individual lives, but we're talking about their families' lives. And and as you touch their families, again, you're touching your community. I I think that it gets lost that we don't see the humanity in people when when life is hard. And I'm not saying that everybody goes through that situation where they fall on hard times and they make poor decisions. There's some people who are truly out there who are truly dangerous. And that's where we should focus our resources on, right? Um, when, when we incarceration. Um, but 500, 500 families, I want to shift that to 500 families. 500 families is more than enough um, to try to see and to try to push for a program like this here in Georgia, in all the counties, actually. So... With that being said, I, I do have two more questions, but with that All being right, go ahead. Let's do it. are you going to run again? For Fulton County DA? Yes. No. 
I'm not running for, for district attorney again. I learned a lot in that in that election. You know, that that was my first time running for office. You know, I felt like it was my lane because I had been a prosecutor for seven years uh, leading up to jumping in the race. And I, and I felt like I just had a personal connection because of my background and, and the experience I've had going through the justice system. But, you know, the, the district attorney, um, although they have a lot of power, you know, their power to impact change is limited to the justice space. So I am going to run for office again, but the next office that I run for will be able to have a bigger impact um, outside of just in the uh, criminal justice arena. So, you know, I, I, I hope that the DA who Fulton County elected, you know, I hope she does a great job. I hope that she, you know, transforms some lives. But I really feel like, you know, my calling and my purpose is, is to help as many people as I can while, while I'm alive. And so, you know, I, I think I would have made a great DA, but, you know, that wasn't the that wasn't the job for me. And so now I think, you know, the next office that I run for, hopefully will be able to change more lives in a bigger way than I could have done as DA. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that you are going to run, run again. Yeah. Although you did not disclose the office, I picked up no. on that. I'm going to let you keep that a secret until you're ready to uh, launch your campaign. But yeah. with that, um, if you can talk a little bit about how hard it is, how hard is it to get in the race? And, you know, when we hear about these elections, I've never ran for office before. Um, I've been a part of a campaign in Massachusetts, and it was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of work, you know, because um, we started at the grassroots and just making calls and trying to get donations. How hard was it? And, and, and how are you going about getting the people to support you to make calls um, for donations? How are you going about that? Let us know so that even if we don't live in your county or the county, you know, that you're, work, you know, that you're working for, you're trying to support that we can, you know, support you in that in that um, venture. So my campaign was very different, I, I think, than you know most traditional campaigns, because the COVID pandemic broke out in the midst of my campaign. I think I announced that I was running for office in January. I think I had two events, you know, two in-person events, fundraisers, the more traditional things. Then COVID breaks out, you know, while we were planning a really big one. And then the city of Atlanta went on a, I think, a 30-day shutdown. And so at that point, you know, we started seeing people losing their jobs. And then you started hearing about, you know, the horror stories of people hoping they wouldn't get evicted and people not knowing how they were going to, you know, buy groceries and pay bills. I mean, it the pandemic has been devastating on so many levels. I mean, so many people have lost their lives. So many people are sick. And so I'm like, man, to me, it didn't feel right to call somebody and ask them to donate money to a political campaign while so many people had life issues. And and it it impacted, you know, my household, you know, my wife, um, who I will say is, is my best friend, my biggest cheerleader. Like she's the reason I was able to, you know, 
be as strong and as bold and, and do the things that I've done, I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. But the job she had at the time, she lost because of uh, the COVID outbreak. So for a couple of months, I didn't do any fundraising. You know, my campaign manager said we still needed to. Um, he, I love him to death. He's like a brother. He's, he's a great friend that I'm glad that I connected with. I will say that he allowed me to be me, even though I think it frustrated him sometimes because he has worked in politics for 16 years. I mean, he's he was one of the senior executives in you know, President Obama's 2012 campaign. He worked as one of the, the top guys in Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. He was one of Elizabeth Warren's guys and you know, this presidential race. Um, and, and he ended up, you know, leaving that job, which is how I ended up crossing paths with him and, and getting him. But he said, hey, man, we still got a fundraise. And I said, I'm not doing it. Like, I, I'm, I, that, I think I'll look crazy if I call somebody and say, hey, donate me some money so I can win this race. And they say, hey, man, I don't know, I'm going to buy groceries. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after a couple of months and, and then just people who, you know, my support system, my friends, they're like, hey, look, man, like if you, if you're going to do this thing, you got to fundraise, you know, like, <clears throat> so try to, you know, just focus on the people who, you know, got it. You know, the people who don't, don't ask, you know, I didn't really put a lot of things on social media, asking people for money. I know most other campaigns, they do that. I didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was challenging, I think, mostly because of COVID, not because of what goes into it, even though, it, you know, it still is kind of weird, you know, calling somebody, somebody that you might not have spoken to in a long time and say, hey, you know, I'm running for a race. Can you put something on it? But then, you know, at the same time, I'm like, you know, I feel like this is my purpose. I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, it'll mean a world to me if you could support me. And then I tried to get creative, too. I think one time I just sent a text to, like, people, a bunch of people on my phone. It's like, hey, $25 Tuesday. Like, I don't care about the amount, you know, just that you can help put something on it to help me get my name out there. Okay. Um, again, I, I want to definitely, um, you know, I, I know where to find all your information, but I definitely want to affix it to this podcast at yeah. least to get your name out there and continue at least that name recognition, right? So when the time comes, when you yeah. hit the ground running again, because you will, it's yeah. not a matter of if, but when. For anybody who's thinking about running for office, and I encourage more and more Black people, more and more minorities, more and more women, please start running for office. I think part of the big trick that they pulled on us for so long was, one, keeping us from voting. Then once we got the right to vote, is making us think that we're not qualified or good enough to run for office. We are. But to your point, name recognition is the – that's the name of the game. That's politics. And I had so many people – after the election say, Hey man, you know, I found out about you after I voted. If I would have known about you a week ago, I definitely would have voted for you. You know, I ended up getting endorsed by uh, a lot of the hip hop community, T.I., Usher, Lil Baby, Ice Cube from LA endorsed me, Um, Lil Yachty, um, uh, (coughs) excuse me, a bunch of people. But all of that came a couple of days before the election because they, they only found out about me a couple of days before the election. Right. So name recognition is the name of the game. And you're absolutely right. The more people see your name and hear your name, you know, the better chance you have. Correct. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate that in our community, 
oh, it was so disheartening um, to hear so many people in our community say leading up to the election in November that their vote does not count. Yeah. That really hurt my soul because people, yeah. let me tell you, I am not um, a born U.S. citizen. I am a naturalized U.S. citizen. Um, I came to this country. I went to school. I was a green card holder. And pretty much I had all the rights you guys have um, without um, voting. I was contributing to society, paying my taxes, living here. That just gives me the right to live here legally um, on a full-time basis. But I only got my citizenship so that I can exercise my voice to vote. And to hear people who are born in this country relinquish that, that right relinquish that right. I mean, even if you didn't fully understand it, but you're just doing it off the strength that so many people died and fought for it. Yeah. Like if that's all you understand about it, like you think people are going to be out there dying and fighting for something that, um, that doesn't matter. So um, just encourage and please encourage the young people in our community to vote um, you can begin voting at the age of 18. 18 year olds, listen, people. <laughs> listen, yeah. Linda. Okay. 18. I don't care if you are still in, you know, you're this is your last year in high school. You are 18. Vote. You have the voter sites. I don't know them off the the, the uh, top of, of my head, but we have a runoff election coming in January, Mr. Smith, Attorney Smith. Which whose website? the voter um, website where you can pull down all the candidates? Um, I usually, I typically just look at the candidates' websites, um, uh-huh. like Warnock's website, Ossoff's website. I know that they'll have all of that information on there. But the Secretary of State will link you to a website where it lists all the candidates and give a description of them, and it'll send you links even to, um, to learn more about each candidate. So educate yourselves, people. Educate yourselves. There is no, um, there is no shame in education. There is no shame in showing up to vote. You know, sometimes in, you know, the younger generation tend to shame each other when it comes to being active in this kind of way, you know, like, man, you really going to do that? You know, it don't count anyway. Yes, it does. And so I want our community to show up and it doesn't matter. Um, don't feel any shame if you don't know all the answers. Ask. I bet you there's someone in your circle who knows or can point you in the right direction. Absolutely. And the, the access to information that we have now, I mean, you go on Instagram. I mean, you go, you, by the time you can scroll through three or four profiles, you're going to see something about voting or you're going to see a link uh, or something po- pointing you to a voter page, like, like you just mentioned. And to the people who think that their vote doesn't count or their vote doesn't matter, you know, I, I, I have two things to say. One, here in Atlanta alone, you know, our last couple of mayoral elections have come down to a couple hundred votes. You know, Keisha Lance Bottoms against Mary Norwood and then Kasim Reed against Mary Norwood. And so, you know, if those couple hundred people had that mentality that their vote didn't matter, we'd be sitting here with uh, Mary Norwood as our mayor who call black people welfare, babies and thugs. And uh, the second thing that I have to say 
you know, I gave an example earlier about the traffic light situation and how, you know, that's determined by local voting. But think about historically how how our neighborhoods look, how black neighborhoods look, like the neighborhood that I grew up in, a lot of my friends grew up in looks. You go to Bankhead, you see fast food restaurants, you see liquor stores, you see check cashing places, you see project housing. How do you think that got that way? By voting. So let me break it down to you. Nothing is built anywhere, Atlanta to San Francisco, without going through some type of zoning process. So zoning laws. Please add schools to that too. They will redraw the zoning lines absolutely. based on education. Ooh, that, ooh, go ahead. Yeah. So everything is, is starting with zoning. If, if you want to build a house, the house you want to build has to be in an area zone residential. If you want to build a barbershop or whatever kind of business you want to build, a retail, restaurant, whatever, it has to be in an area zone for that particular kind of business. So historically, right, going back in history, um, you know, during the civil rights movement, back when we started to see project housing springing up, they voted to make these areas um, look the way they look now, the project housing, the fast food, check cash, and liquor, right? And if somebody says, well, I don't know what I'm talking about or how do I know this? You are listening or seeing whatever somebody who has written zoning law that still stands right now for the city of Atlanta. If you ever find yourself in East Atlanta Village, you are in an area of town under zoning laws written by me. And so the city council person who I worked for at the time uh, wanted to write zoning legislation for that area i wrote it of course the council person gets the credit for it. her name is on it but i wrote it and so that's why your vote matters because if you have somebody in office who doesn't want to see black communities look the way they, that they look or they don't want to see our schools look the way they look or they don't want to see crime uh prosecuted the way that it's prosecuted or they don't want to see Taxes, whatever, like that all starts with local government first, whether it's a city council person, a school board member, a district attorney, a, a county commissioner, a mayor, that all comes down to your vote. And every vote matters because like the, I pointed out with Kasim Reed and Keisha Lance Bottoms, only a few hundred votes decided those races. So we're not talking about millions of votes, a few hundred. And if a few of those, those folks would have sat home, history would be different. Thank you so much for explaining that and for breaking all this down. I truly enjoyed my talk with you on this evening. I truly enjoyed the knowledge that you shared with us. Um, I learned a lot. I hope the listeners also learn a lot. Um, and again, I, I look forward to supporting you in whatever race you have that's coming up. And I look forward to sitting with you when that time comes, when you, when you announce it again, hopefully we'll be out of this <laughs> pandemic. And yeah. at least I can get the word out there and get your name out there. If, if anything else, I am glad to see the favor that is on your life, brother. Um, I pray continued blessing and favor over your life and as well as your family. Um, the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. Um, don't be afraid to ask for the support that you need, because ultimately, when you serve in our community, you will be supporting um, members of our community. So one hand washes the other. And so yes, thank you. Amen. Thank you that. for your service. Yeah. And we need to rock the boat. 
in January. You can start early voting. December 14th. Early December 14th. Starts. That's yep. in a couple That's of days. Monday. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, there's some polling places that have early voting on Saturdays. Okay. Yep. You can even go on Saturdays. You don't even have to be late to work or none of that. I don't want to hear it. Then you also can do your mail-in ballot. Okay. They have to count yep. the mail-in ballots. So send them in. Don't let anybody tell you that. Please be mindful of the two envelopes that are there. You have to use both envelopes when you do your mail-in ballot. So no excuses. One band, one sound. Hey, one band, one sound. Dr. Lee, drum line. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Attorney Wise Smith. This was, again, this was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thanks. You too, Ms. Tab. I appreciate you. Thank you. This podcast may contain copyrighted material and may not have been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This should constitute as fair use under Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. If you wish to use any material from this podcast and or site that go beyond fair use, you must obtain express permission from the copyright owner.